I was chatting and I was saying, hey, like, how are, how are things going? Blah, 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 blah. He's like, Google's saying we're killing it right now. I was like, it's not saying that in the bank. Like, I am not seeing any of these sales that you're telling me that you see. And I went away for TNC because this was for a campaign to sell the recording. So I was like mm-hmm. incommunicado um, mm-hmm. to which $100,000 in ad spend was spent over those three days that I was incommunicado because they were using the Google algorithm to optimize through these things that never actually existed, which means it's just getting more people who are less likely to convert. And it was a mess. It was like a complete $100,000 mess because people just relied on like what one thing was saying. There is no single truth except for what's in the bank. Okay. So there's no single truth in data. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing these things come through? And always think trust, but verify. Always, always, always. That's why this this whole attribution debate just seems nonsensical to me. And it just sounds like a lot of people who are really bored right now, who are trying to justify their positions in something. You're listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast, a Zoom video series brought to you by Web Profits, where we talk about how to drive business marketing success. This episode is a discussion with Justin Rondo, marketer, conversion expert, speaker, and head of technology and operations at Digital Marketer. We talk about attribution, conversion optimization, the latest in digital growth strategies, plus everything in between. So let's get into it. I wish we were in the same time zone. I would start drinking now too, but it's, it's like um, 9.55 oh yeah, like, a.m. right now in Sydney. I'm oh, sorry, like in hey, Australia. When, when's that stopped you before? But uh. yeah, I, well, hey, listen, um, usually when I'm, seeing you it's at a conference and yeah it doesn't stop yeah. me then because really because no, i'm like well well in sydney it's this time right now so that's fine you know normally yeah. at that time how you been bro i've been good i've been good um i've been just same old stuff kind of down in austin uh bought a boat that's fun um like that's been super fun been seeing the same girl for a while uh been together oh. almost two years now so that's kind of congrats cool. congrats thanks yeah level of um consistency there which is good yeah yeah that's good that's um i know how important that is that's for sure yeah definitely. yeah yeah definitely and um, how about how's you? the hey yeah i'm good at you know this whole world is upside down right mm-hmm. now and you know we're just um you know we're just doing the best we can like in chaotic situations um yeah there's opportunities in there um there's lots of challenges in there um there's lots of challenges especially around you know just being kind of stuck at home like yeah, we haven't gone back yeah. to the office yet, you know, we've yeah, we, changed we're, we're done for the year. We haven't gone to the, we're not going to be in the office for at least the rest of the, we actually, we, we declared we're a remote first company now. Um, but we have the office lease for another two years. So it's like that. <laughs> yeah. So we're also like, yeah, that's um the same thing that we've done. Yes. Yeah, so we've changed our approach now as well. And so we are also a remote first company. Um, we just signed up to we work and so now we're just basically just kind of like embracing the full um the option to go somewhere yeah. if you want but not the requirement you know and yeah. so people still there's still a lot of collaboration that happens side by side right um where you just don't get that just being on kind of back to back you know you know zoom is great but zoom is just not the same as being side by side zoom, someone. Z- zoom fatigues a real thing like i remember because I, w- I worked remotely forever before i moved down to, to texas and i remember also like not just from a working perspective but even like when you're doing like 
a stage presentation versus like a webinar. A webinar is far more draining because you have to build up all that energy still. And like when you don't have all kind of like the, the standard kind of like in the room with somebody to collaborate on, like Zoom fatigue is absolutely real because you have to keep yourself like, hey, yeah, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> and then you turn off Zoom and you're like, that's right, I'm just here again at home, yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, and yeah, the, the shift, it's almost like if you were downshifting like a manual, like, or and like, and just going like all the way and just, uh, it's not, it's an interesting, it's an interesting turn. Not, not, um, not a terribly big fan of it, but. No, not a terribly big fan of it either. Um, but hey, let me just do a quick intro because look, I started recording. This is probably going to be um, kind of, we'll probably uh, have started the podcast just from a few minutes back when I said I wasn't going to be drinking because it's too early and then you judged <laughs> me. So that's a good place to start. But today we're talking with Justin Rondo, um, who's a marketer conversion expert, yes. speaker, and head of technology and operations at digitalmarketer.com, uh, yep. um, which is basically one of the leading companies across the digital education space. And I first met Justin, and I had to have a look at this. Um, this is back in 2014 at the Witch Test One conference in Austin, Texas. I was there with Duncan, and we were there for the pre-show conferences. And we heard you talk about conversion optimization um, and you just kind of opened up to us um, kind of the thinking just behind the volume to the quality game and you kind of changed our whole approach. And so we came up to you afterwards and we were like, mate, that was so good. Do you want to have a drink? And that's when we hit it <laughs> off because you were like, hell yeah. Let's go. <laughs> we ended up just going back every year for the next three or four years. Um, we went to the Conversion Excel conference and we went to, to the Digital Marketer conference in San Diego. That's a couple of years ago now, three yeah. years ago, two, three years ago. Um, and we've become pretty close friends since then. Um, and, but you're one of those people where you've got this unique ability to explain complex ideas in a very simple way. Yeah. And you're also pretty down to earth. Um, and so I figured it'd be great to have you on this podcast, right? And we get to talk about all the marketing stuff. This is going to be like a geek out session, I would say on, you know, you know, what are some of the things which you're seeing like that's happening like, like at the front lines? Um, we will probably talk about some conversion strategies and kind of the theories behind them, you know, like I wanted to touch on, on kind of attribution and how you think oh, about Oh, I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait for that one. That one's going to be fun. Because that one, wait. I've been asking a few people about it and I'm kind of stuck with it. And I'd love to hear like, your thoughts on that. And then we're uh, just going to talk about, you know, kind of some of the tactics which you're seeing, you know, because I know um, that you guys have the unique benefit of being able to experiment with a bunch of traffic um, that not many other organizations have, you know, and I think, um, I think, yeah, that's the intro. Like, I'm excited um, to have you here. And it's been a while since we've spoken anyway. So this has been like, like a good way to catch up too. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to geek out. I've been in such like a, the last maybe six months or so, such in like this more operations and software development mode and kind of like, like kind of taking something from nothing to launch uh, and then marketing that out. It's, it's fun to kind of go pure marketing again to like talk about some of those things. Cause that's, that's truly like my passion, what I've been doing the last 10 years. And then specifically, on um on the conversion rate optimization more data centric side of things but um being at digital marketer um for damn near six years now 
Um, I learned a lot in terms of kind of the acquisition side as well, where there's neat stuff going on, specifically some of the stuff that we've done recently that's going to be really cool to talk about. And then, yeah, when we get to attribution, we have some of those things. Ah, oh, that one's going to be fun that's because good. I, have a, I have an opinion there. As you know, I tend to. But, uh, <laughs> Which is why I love you. And you have an opinion that's based on reality which is great. It's not based on theory. And yeah. I think that was kind of one of the things which kind of, you know, stood out to me at the very start, the first time, because I'd done so many courses and conferences and all that type of stuff. But you're the first person that said, hey, it's just like that. And I was like, oh, that's so good. And so that's what we're going to get to. But um, can I quickly ask, because um, so you've moved from kind of the head of marketing role to head yeah. of operations and technology role. Yes. So what change in terms of what you do every day? Because I would just really like to understand that just so we can set kind of, I guess, a foundation, you know, that everybody yeah. else um, can understand about you. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, well, I start going kind of all the way back with Digital Marketer. I came in specifically um, to work on the data and optimization side on all of our campaigns. So I kind of had, but I was doing all the split tests, kind of finding all the opportunity areas. Um, kind of finding the best ways to get the most out of the traffic we were sending to the site, whether it was pay-per-click, organic, or anything like that. Um, I moved down to Texas a couple of years after joining Digital Marketer to uh, run the marketing team. Um, so I had a small kind of lean team of marketers. We were just trying and then covering everything from, you know, paid acquisition. Um, we'd actually, at that time, we didn't take SEO or organic all that seriously. That was a big change that I added in when I, uh, when I recruited people for that team. And then email marketing. I think we, we, um, we're not shy to email if anybody's on the digital marketer list, you know that, um, I actually, I actually remember being, um, talking at, at your office, Alex, and, be, and when you're like, Hey, some people don't want to email. I was like, if you're not going to email, you're not going to make money. So like, there's, I mean, obviously you don't want to kind of hit people all the time, but, um, there's definitely a, a delicate balance that you can hit there. That's worth doing. And email is not dead. It's not dying, whatever. Anyway. So, um, after and we'll that, get to that um, too, by the way, because I want to talk oh, about email as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, then we had a lot of success and growth, uh, digital marketer during that time um, when I was asked to actually run the company. So I ran the company as a, as an interim general manager for nearly a year, um, and that's when I was doing, I was kind of doing more of the marketing strategy on one side and working with our director of marketing there, kind of working through all that stuff working on the product line. And then also um, a, a, a skill set that I have, which comes from kind of, I think the rigorous analytics side and those things and being kind of step by step by step and process driven was that I migrated all of our backend systems um, over a period of time while I was uh, managing the company um, to which, and I've also launched a, a software company with a friend a couple of years back that digital marketer acquired. It was one of our portfolio companies. So they knew I understand operations. I understand software. We wanted to start launching and releasing more pieces of software and getting it to market, uh, mm -hmm. get product market fit, and then start scaling some things out. So they, uh, in the last six months, that's where I've moved and started focusing uh, and doing a tour of duty there um, mm -hmm. as I'm kind of building that, that out. So I've, I've done damn near everything in the marketing and almost, and, and now getting into the business world too in terms of stuff I've done. So I do have a long view on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, great. And we're going to get into all that. But um, can I just confirm then? So before you were marketing um, the education programs, yep. and yes. then now you're transitioning to creating technology and kind of kind of transitioning into SaaS marketing, essentially, right? Yes. And having all those lovely conversations around CAC and LTV and all that type of jazz. Is that kind of the big transition? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's accurate. And I think with that's the, the bigger transition. Good job distilling that one down. Because uh, I said a yeah, lot no. of stuff. No, no, like, no, yeah. no. But that was really good for just kind of the history of you as well, you yeah. know, because like, yeah. yeah, like you've been done quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny too, like the converse, anyways, when you're talking about the conversations, it's always like LTV to cat ratio and all those other things. I'm like, yeah, well, what problems are you solving? Let's talk about that first. Then we can talk about what's going on there. That's a whole, whole other thing. To do. Good old, and we're going to get to that too because we have a section on kind of metrics um, to cover as well. So yes. look, this is, there's a lot of parts that we're going to be talking to, right? But can I just start with kind of something that's probably kind of um, kind of relevant to your current role? Um, what is the difference so far between kind of kind of SaaS marketing and product marketing? You say, for example, education marketing. You know, so what are okay, the yeah. things that you're seeing as like the difference? Um, so when you're doing on more of the educational side of things and information, so education and information um, are so very distinct because the marketing is actually kind of born out of, you have to build a product to then market, right? So you're creating like, like you'll see these challenge funnels popping up all over the place, which are highly successful, but um, it, What's a challenge funnel? That, a, challenge a challenge funnel. Uh, so a challenge funnel is when you kind of set up a, a, like a five day um, kind of almost event and we, how we do them is with like Facebook groups or those things where you provide like, Hey, do this each day and people sign up at either no cost or low cost. And then you have a pitch at the end. Right. And so you generally like for the ones that if you're gonna have a pitch at the end, that's a high ticket offer. You probably want to get people buying into the challenge at like a low, low dollar price point to show that they're, they have some skin in the game. Then you provide, the most insane amount of value over the next five days in terms of like a maybe 30 to 45 minute like topical like piece of information that people can work through. And then by the time you get to the end of it, then you have kind of that profit maximizer upsell at the back end. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's a pure info model. That's how you do it, right? And then the, these things, you're seeing them everywhere at this point in time. And we had, I mean, we've, we've had several um, close to seven figure challenges that we've put out over the last three months. Um, they're really great. They get people involved. It turns people rather than being like an active learner into a, like, I mean, a passive learner into an active doer of an action. And when people start seeing movement, that's when they start believing. Right. Mm. And so that's why those work so well. Um, and so that, but, but if you think about information and education and training versus um, software, that is like what that is, is the product, right? You'd use those types of mechanisms to drive to a software product, but mm -hmm. you, can, you can't do it at the cadence at which you do it for an information type product or anything like that, where anything that we put out at Digital Marketer or any of other brands that's information-based is going to be more, like, it's going to be a splinter of another offer of another offer. So we'll have our core subscription offer and we kind of break things down. So there's always a, an information path to the um, to either the one-off purchase or the subscription. For mm -hmm. SaaS, everything kind of, and those can all vary. For SaaS, it's all ending at that particular product, right? You're not seeing as much stuff on the product bundling side of things or anything like that. And the, just the, the, the cadence for discussion with people is a little different. Do you pretty much like, you have a period of time when someone can like gets on your list for a SaaS product before you lose them. Similarly to um, a, um, or if they sign up for your product or anything like that, like they have a half-life, they're gonna go. For the information side of things, you always have something new to talk about. So that's mm -hmm. why it's, it's the same like that we've been saying for years, even back when we had like Content and Commerce Summit and those things, like, like e-commerce requires content for it to thrive. 
just like SaaS will require content there. Um, but it's, it's a very different uh, product model in terms of how you start putting things together. I think it's more cut and dry on the back end for SaaS. Um, and it's far more important for a SaaS marketer and anybody doing product marketing there to make sure that they're doing a lot of work within the product and creating, um, and, and they need to be more of a technical marketer. Um, they, they need to have copywriting skills and those types of things, but they need to be a technical marketer and they need to know people that start like building um, BD deals with, uh, for like tech integrations, media integration, uh, media partnerships and those types of things. On the information side, um, where you still need that type of thing, you can, you can create a product out of nowhere with information. Right. But you have like a quadruple churn rate, average churn rate than what you'd see for SaaS. Um, like the, the average, like the, the kind of the industry standard acceptable churn rate for an information product. And I have this little, like I have a, a more academic like theory on this in general, but, and I'll get it, I'll say it and then people can scoff or like roll their eyes or <laughs> comment or whatever. But um, I mean, you're looking at, if you have a 10% churn rate for an info subscription product, you're looking good. And that's that. And if you told that to a SaaS marketer, they expect to be in like 3%, right? Like, and 3% is like, ah, you're okay, right? Yeah. That's how different those markets are because you have to keep creating the new. And then um, in the US, like there's, there's one type of loan you can't default on and that's your student loans, right? Because when you sell someone education, it's consumed. You can never give it back. Mm -hmm. um, so when somebody learns something, it's always about what have I learned lately from them, right? And it gets even more tricky because if you think about how people learn in general, how people learn is they don't recall the first time they learned something or the first time they remembered something. Every time you recall something, you're recalling the last time you recalled it. That's why things get hazy and things like that. But when you think about information, there's going to be a time where it's like, oh yeah, digital marketer taught me that. Oh yeah, digital. And then it's going to be like, I taught me that. Mm -hmm. It eventually gets to that because the recollection is a recollection of a recollection. Yeah. Um, wow. So that's why you oh. see such, such high turn rates kind of in the info space there, because it's really, a, what have you done for me lately? And that's why you have to create more products and product bundles and those types of things. There. And so what are you saying then that's working from a SaaS marketing perspective? That's, I've moved over all over the place with SaaS marketing. Um, uh, we, we've tried a bunch of different freemium, like we've done the freemium model and those types of things. But if you don't have your onboarding in place, like within the application, you're hosed, like you're just dead in the water. Um, and I, I personally hate freemium. Um, I've watched a bunch of companies just lose big on that. Um, because the, the amount of effort it takes to get someone to put a credit card in once they're using something, they can just have like good enough syndrome that that sucks. I think I do believe, I think credit card trials are kind of the way to go. Like when you're putting those things together, um, I could also see just, you know, pay up front 30 day money back, especially if you're like, like in the B2B space, when you're doing a SaaS product, mm. like generally, especially a low dollar SaaS product, if you're doing anything sub 500 bucks or something a month, like you're generally going to be able to get them. And if they don't like it within 30 days, they could refund or you can do a trial level there. Um, but cause that's generally like disc discretionary funds and those types yep. of things. Yeah. Um, yep. But I, I've been like, I like to add a bit of friction. I want to get people who are going to take the next step. It's not all about kind of just getting all those kind of freeloading users because, and the second they get in and they don't understand something or, or they don't see immediate value, like they're gone. Like, even if they see value, they could just disappear. Cause they're like, Oh, I, well, I have no reason to keep using this thing. 
Mm-hmm. And, I, and you can talk about things like, okay, well, maybe your onboarding needs to be better. Or maybe your app needs to be more intuitive or those types of things. Or maybe you need people who are motivated. Um, and how you get, and people show motivation through their wallet and their time. Um, so yeah. I think that's a fabulous point there. And I think that's a super important point is like, like, um, you can't conversion optimize a person that's never going to buy from you. Right. Exactly. And so this is potentially, this will be a good transition to conversion optimization talk, right? So this section yeah. is on CRS stuff, which is kind of the first time that we spoke. It was our yeah. first date. We had a conversation about <laughs> conversions. It's great. Um, but there's so many, let's start with, um, pet peeves of yours just when it comes to conversion conversion optimization around you know like you spend so much time like kind of optimizing a page that nobody actually visits or you're split testing stuff which you shouldn't be you know so what are some of the mistakes that you see people make just when it comes to conversion optimization I think uh, yeah. optimization or however you yeah. want to call it. Those days. Oh, I'm so I'm glad you said it that because I won my biggest pet peeve is anybody who talks about the damn acronym. Who cares? Move on. It's fine. Like CRO people get it. Stop talking about like, is it this or is it this? It, it, we all know what this is really. Okay. We're, <laughs> we're trying to like, we're trying to maximize engagement, whether that be a level of generating more leads, more sales, or even more kind of micro conversions at kind of the click through level. Uh, if you don't have enough, you know, sales coming through on the back end to, uh, to do something that's statistically significant. I think my, my, my biggest pet peeve is just people just saying like, just straight up, you should test that. Or or, it's like, no one knows you should just test that. It's like, here's, we have so much data on things and testing is, and, and here's the, here's, here's the crazy thing. I haven't run a true split test in probably like two years at this point, because I've lost, I haven't seen the value I've needed to get from it over that time. Um, historically, like you can start looking at things and say, hey, such and such person is acting in, in this way. And you can generally diagnose it with all the tools we have out there, like true conversion, hot jar, those types of things will help you see what's going on on the page. You can look at your analytics and see if something's broken relatively easily. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. And then the real thing is, is if you're going to test something, you want to try to have kind of, you want to be able to theoretically use those learnings and apply them to, to everything on your else on your site, but it's all contextual, right? It's contextual for that point of time, for that particular page, for those sources of traffic. So mm-hmm. what you need to be thinking about is how do I develop, like, how do I um, make sure and ensure that my value proposition and everything kind of on the page is, is, is understood and do they know what to do next? If you have those types of things down, you're looking pretty good. And I wouldn't even do like a standardized, like split test at that anymore. I'd probably look at if I was going to set something up, it'd just be like mostly like headline tests or those types of things these days to see what hooks work and what, what things, what things work there. I don't like, I've avoided massive kind of um, redesign tests. Those ones are silly. I think if you have a, like a theory of like a template you want to try, it gets too dicey. Um, And generally, generally when people are doing tests like that, it's like a, they're trying to do a do no harm. They're just trying to validate their own assumption that this new challenger should go there, but they're going to tell a data story anyways, to put that challenger there anyways. So mm-hmm. I think my big, my actually probably my biggest pet peeve now that I'm talking about it. Um, <laughs> Cause actually I, I wrote a post about how I was done writing blog posts about split testing and done this stuff. Like it's on DM. Like I just kind of lost it. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Like all the information's out there. It's, it's over. <laughs> and I love your rants um, by the way, like especially <laughs> on LinkedIn as well. You, you did some, <laughs> 
You do some good LinkedIn rants. It's great. Uh, yeah, I've, 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 I've pulled back from that. I'm trying to be a bit more positive, but like these are, this is like old, this is deep, deep rooted. This is deep right rooted. Uh, but I, I think, I think the, the real problem is, is that they, they're, they're used to validate. They're not you like, so you have an assumption and you're like, oh, well, let's just test it. You're not trying to improve much. You're either trying, you're, you're trying to like almost validate your ego or your thought that this thing was better than that. Um, you also lose out in kind of the, like, kind of like the, the gains, right? There's a, there's a, there's a cost to running these tests because you're splitting traffic. And then if you're going to try to do any sort of risk mitigation and run it at like an 80, 20 split or anything like that, it's going to be harder to run that thing. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're effectively saying half my traffic, I'm going to send you to something. I don't know if it's going to do better than that. Right. But, and I think it made more sense back in the day to run tests because less people were as data driven, but mm -hmm. we have lots and lots of data at our disposal here. We, and we have lots of ways to, to analyze things. So I think the opportunity cost now is just too high for what people are looking to do, especially if they're using these types of things on like for like a launch model or anything like that. If you're, you're putting something out there that's only going to be going for like seven to 10 days, you're running like a true like, or like seven to 14 days, you're running like a true launch. Mm -hmm. Don't get into just split test mode, like run things, see what it works, tinker, and then move on. Like that's where sequential testing actually kind of makes sense. Or you could just do like a multivariate setup and just pay attention. And like I used to say, you know, you don't, don't look at the test until it's done. Like let it cook, let it cook. But in like a launch mode or in anything like that, don't let it cook. It's going to burn. Like you need, <laughs> you need to be able to maximize those, yeah. those, those types of conversion. That's why multi-arm banded algorithms and things like that work. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you can use something that if you have a piece of software that can do that type of stuff, good on you. But I think where we're, we're tripping my sales head of sales is going to laugh at me so much for using his quote that he says all the time, but I roll my eyes at we're tripping over pen. We're tripping over pennies to pick up dollars or you know, I, I screwed up because it's not mine. It's not yeah, my yeah, sure. <laughs> the idea is we're like, just like, Hey, look at all these pennies. We're missing all the dollars. And that's, what's happening a lot. I think in the optimization world where they get into this, well, what if like the button color still comes up? Well, what if the button text was different? It won't matter. Like, is it clear what, what you're offering? Is it valuable? And do they know what actions to take next? And then if you're really good at it, are they anticipate, have you anticipate, have they, can they anticipate what they're going to see next? Right? So if they're going to click through on something, are they seeing a checkout page? Are they seeing just an add to cart? Are they, what, what's going on at that point? So you need to kind of cover those types of things. If you do that, all the testing in the world is only going to be a, like a kind of incremental gain. If that, It'll, it might even just be a phantom win at that yeah. point. So there's, there's, there's a lot of better things to be looking at, and, and especially at this point in time. So then, which is such a, Fantastic point. And I think, you know, like the big thing that I came away after the first conference uh, back in 2014 was yeah. I came up with Duncan. It's like, cool, we're no longer doing A B testing anymore. We don't have enough traffic and mm -hmm. the speed to to the result is too long. And so we just yeah. and so the value of it's completely gone. Um can right. you talk <laughs> to that part of it, please? Yeah, because yeah, you <laughs> that I walked away with like, oh, so yeah, like could you just explain? Yeah. the environment that kind of is required to do a true ab test yeah and it's funny because yeah you went to a split test conference and you're like we're not running tests anymore <laughs> which i think is amazing um but yeah i mean it's all about it's all about 
test, because uh, you'll hear a lot of people talk about test velocity. Um, and whenever, if you're ever at a conference and you have a fair, like a even low to moderate traffic website and they're talking about test velocity leap, there's no reason for you to be at this conference because the topics that they're going to be talking about have nothing to do with you. They're only for like kind of the top one percentage that are going to be in, in the room. Um, but what, what, what really, what we noticed here, I actually have a chart. I could probably send you the screenshot of that thing. Cause it was just yeah. the, like how many conversions you'd need per variant and how long it would take to get to those types of wins. But I mean, you need to, you, you don't ever look at just pure traffic, right? Cause you could have a high traffic website that has a low, low conversion rate, like maybe like a, a content marketer that has a pure content site. They probably right. have less sales coming in as much, as much as they have like readers or even leads, even subscribers to which I'd argue what they would optimize there are like for subscribers at that point, mm -hmm. because that's, then they're going to be able to use email marketing to kind of pull that stuff further. But right. yeah, it requires, I mean, hundreds, like, like, so I think what, I think how I showed it to you is, I mean, you need hundreds of conversions per variant in order to pull this thing off. And when you're that's running part like one. a lot. That's part yeah. one. That's part one yes. of the things that you require. Cause so it's hundreds of conversions per variant. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Not, not, not hundreds of visitors, hundreds of conversions per variant. And then it, it's almost like exponential as you're adding more variants to it. So if you're a low to moderate website running a, um, running a split test, you don't want to have multiple multiple variants. You're going to be doing A to B, and so then if you're if you're like, oh hey, let's test this headline variant, it's likely not going to be big enough, or um, or, or it's not going to be a large enough swing to have a large enough impact, right? Um, so what you need to start looking at is how much of an impact can you expect to have between the two variants, because that's also going to dictate the number of conversions for it to be statistically significant. Mm -hmm. So it's a, you need far more conversions per variant to have a 5% lift uh, for something that's a 5% lift than for something that's like a 30%, right? And then you have to ask yourself as you're selecting things, can I expect to get 30% growth, like a 30% jump off of the stuff I'm about to do? And if you, if you ask that question and you say, no, don't do it like mm. at all. So you need to be looking at like, what's the potential impact you're expecting to have? knowing that bare minimum, you need to have hundreds of conversions per variant, right? So you have that and then you get into time. <laughs> this was what messed with me the most. <laughs> I mean, this is what... time is, it, it, it's tricky with this because it generally when you're running a, a split test that you want to be able to have scalable results for, you want to be able to run them for entire business cycles. So the more, the, the less conversions you have or the less impact effect that you're going to have, the longer the period of time you need to round up for a week or at least um, to, to close out at least if you have like a, a, a light business cycle. But I like to fact, I like to round up any type of week because you can get a, a kind of, you know, day by day variance and those types of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're looking at going from like, you can go from something as much as that was going to be like a, a, say you had like, if you had a test that was getting moderate traffic, moderate conversions, and you just said A, B variant, um, you could probably pull off and, and you expect it to have a big impact. That could take, you could do it about seven to 14 days. Hmm. But if you don't expect to have that big of a lift, that thing can jump all the way up to being up to a month, month and a half. And if you're spending, then you have all these other things with like, like if you're going past four weeks, then you have like cookies resetting. I mean, cook, I mean, the testing industry is gonna be really interesting with all in a post cookie world. I'm really curious about that. Mm -hmm. But you're getting all sorts of you're adding all sorts of other exteriorities and variables if you're going longer than a month. So then, 
it's, it's not going to be a worthwhile test because the data is going to be tainted. And then here's the real kicker. That's just for the test. How long is it going to take for you to roll out your learnings and then also validate those learnings? So not only are you going to be taking, like, you're going to have these variants that you like. You're going to be like, great, it took us four weeks. We did it. How do we roll these out across the board? Do you know what you're probably, not, you're not going to do it. The fact, fact, you're just not. It's going to mm -hmm. stay on whatever thing you just did there. And you're not going to roll those things out if you're doing it for like multiple landing pages. Or um, maybe if you can, if you're, I guess it's not a complete fact. I guess if it's a checkout page or something, you might, you might, but you're still going to have all this legacy stuff in there and it's just going to have diminishing returns. And then it's just going to regress to the mean again. So it, it takes, it takes way too much time to split hairs when you're doing, if you have a low traffic, even moderate traffic site. Uh, and especially if you're, looking at the wrong pages too. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Cool. So we basically have hundreds of conversions per variant. We've got um, the predicted uplift and then you've yeah. got time, right? And time has a limit. And what's the upper mm. limit of time in terms of any test that somebody should be to, looking I, at? I used to get, I get twitchy at anything over three weeks, like personally now. Um, I used to, in, in trainings, I used to say go up to at least six, but I, that's like a, I even put it in red, like danger zone, like super danger zone. Like, um, and, and I think I've become more, I've, I've pulled back more from that because I, I don't believe a, a lack of data is a problem. Wrong data is a problem. Inaccurate data is a problem and it creates false beliefs, which then can, can hurt your business. I got fired from a, a gig one time cause I, I got into it with their CTO about, uh, I, I was doing a webinar and I was talking about, you know, split test results and someone asked me, can you do split tests on a small site? I said, don't, just don't do it. Here's a whole thing. Here's the thing like, and I have this whole belief of like, you know, best practices are best practice because they're common and what's common to a user is always best. So that, that's how I look at things. Um, I saw that talk at the conversion Excel conference uh, yes. a few years ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was that a good one, one that, actually. That, that was a fun one. That was a real, fun, that one was so out like that audience didn't want to hear that talk. I remember doing that one. That one mm -hmm. was, that one was interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I and I I get a I get a phone call and they're like, hey, we're releasing a split test feature to this application, and you just completely told like a good amount of our audience not to use it. And I just went, hey man, it's just math. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, to which I was fired. Um, mm -hmm. But <laughs> it's true, uh, and I think inaccurate data is the worst thing uh, that you can have, especially in kind of this data-driven marketing landscape. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is what's um? Could you talk quickly um about the null result? What's the <laughs> null result? Because this is something else that I was like, oh yeah, that explains yeah. so many things to me about oh, why yeah. my split test <laughs> weren't working. Really? At, oh yeah. Like and they're the like end. nearly the <laughs> nearly like the seventy percent of tests that happen uh come like come out in null. Like there there's people people look at tests that they they think two things can happen when you're running tests. They think you're either gonna get this uplift and it's gonna be great and we're all gonna be just popping bottles, whoop, whoop. Or you're gonna get this like down, like this just super loss. And then you're like, but hey, I learned something. Here's the kicker. Most of the time, and this is why it's a like, kind of a risk, like, it becomes a risky game. It's not, it's not, even though they're A-B tests, it's not like you have either it did something or it did something. And most of the time it does nothing. And the reason that most of the time it does nothing is because people aren't, kind of testing the right things. They're not looking at the things that matter. 
Um, that, that's kind of the big thing. Cause I used to say as a joke, like, Oh, look, look, you're done testing and nothing's going to change anymore. It's like, that was always kind of tongue in cheek, but it is good to know, like when you need to stop working on a page and move on. Mm. Um, and that really comes down to the amount of effort going into it, uh, versus the, the potential uh, result that's going to be coming from it. Like similar to, it all comes back to what's your, like, what's your perceived impact. And if someone's going to be listening right now and say, well, Justin, I have no idea what it would be. Take a guess. Do you want to know how we come up with ideas like a digital marketer? And we're looking at like, we are not ideas. Like when we're looking at benchmarks or anything like that for, for ourselves, if we don't have data, we go, we think it's about this. And then we just do it and see if it happens. Um, there is like, sometimes it's worth showing a dart. And I, I hated it. Whenever Ryan and I, Ryan and Richard and I would be in a meeting, they'd be like, Justin, I need you to tell us what like potential uplift on this one thing would be. And I'd start flop sweating being like, I need to be the most accurate. Um, and then, they, they pretty much beat that out of me when they're like, no, just pick something, pick something, pick something. And it was really hard for me to do, but it was a muscle that I needed to start flexing. Right. Um, and so that, that's really important when, when you're thinking about um, kind of the, the tests you're running and kind of the, the stuff that you're focusing on and really what's, what's worth doing. And cause that's really all, all this is. It's like, it's how do you prioritize what's well, worth? Right? It's, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, cost. it's time of that yeah. versus not, of something else and, right? yeah could you imagine running something for four weeks and it's a null i've done it it sucks and you don't learn a lot all you learn is oh shouldn't do that again maybe yeah. i don't maybe. know like null results null results are the vast majority of tests that happen can you also uh, that, talk that are, about because there's something else that happens as well right is that and speak to me about confidence rate like because <laughs> there's always a confidence rate it's like this this um <laughs> specific variations one at this level confidence what does that exactly yeah. mean? Because it's got a loophole in there, which if you're not careful and you don't understand it, you then confuse why is this not actually increasing my revenue? You yeah, know? yeah. So um, confidence rate, like I've, I've heard a lot of things in that. So I'm not, I'm not a trained statistician, just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, I know my applied statistics well enough. Just want to make sure people know that. Um, yes. But when you're looking at the confidence rate, what it's not saying you have like a, like a 95% chance of getting that result. That's not what it's saying. It's at all. Um, it's saying that the result isn't due to statistical noise, that it's not a false positive, right? So the higher uh, your, your confidence rate, if you're like at 95%, that would mean that there's still a 5% chance that the, the, the lift you're seeing is erroneous that it is it happens to be like due to other things so that means i think it's like what what is it at a 90 percent? that means there's a one in ten chance like every, like you're, you're that you're just kind of off there so mm. um it gets a little tricky there it's not a matter of like oh yeah we expect to see this rate at a night like we 95 percent sure that this is this is the exact lift we're going to get that's not what it is it's saying hey this change is only like five percent of false positive and so there's a chance and so there's yeah. a chance that it doesn't have any impact on the revenue numbers at the end of that so exactly. it could kind of increase conversion rate possibly and then and then you maybe not think, as well right but yeah yeah but and maybe not it's, and, it, and it's and it's only talking about that snapshot of time too mm. so that's that's another important factor like are there any other things happening that could have influenced any sort of changes or those things are you seeing different traffic source influxes are you a, a, a seasonal business that's out of season or in season and those and those types of things but 
yeah, the, the confidence rate, and then you have confidence rate and you have confidence interval. Interval is getting more into like, you can expect to see like this, uh, this percentage when they're like, if you're like, hey, you have a 15% lift, but then they're like, but it's because we don't have enough conversion data, it could go from nothing to like a loss to like a big win. Like, and you'll start seeing those in, in testing uh, statistics now. And I mean, it's way more refined than it was when we met. Mm -hmm. um, they, they've refined those things. They, they do a pretty good, do pretty good job visually to kind of show that, but there's still just, there's always a risk again, that null. And then also like, even if it's like, Hey, yeah, bingo, you, there's other, again, variables. And there's also the chance that it's still due to that type of noise. And if, again, if you're running, like, if you're not one of the, if, if you're not even digital mercury, we have a hard time doing some of these tests and we have tons of traffic. Mm. Like I'm talking, if you're not Microsoft, if yeah. you're not, those types of companies that's when they can start doing these types of things because and, and kind of at a small like it's a large scale but do small scale changes and small scale implementations um because they just have so many numbers uh, or, or just so many visitors so many conversions that are happening whereas you could have something that says yes this is a 95 percent chance um but it could also ha not have that many you, you could have um just a big potential a big lift between the two variants uh so one thing to know is whenever you start a split test in general I, I like you should probably ignore like the first two days anyways of data because there's going to be this natural variance due to mm -hmm. like just tech implementation as well as um, novelty and um, was it novelty effects and I forget the other one off the top of my head but there's a bunch of stuff happening there so you'll see nearly all split tests they go like this yeah and then, and then like that it, that that's just kind of due, due to uh, due to a bunch of different things there so I generally ignore the beginning part and then I, I average out from when we start seeing actual um, repeatable differences. Mm -hmm. um, but say for instance, you have um, a, a test where you have, and you have 15, um, 15 conversions in the, in the control variant and 10 in the challenger, that's a 50% lift, right? Or 50% difference that's a big difference and the numbers aren't going to be looking at them. They'll say now like, Oh, the sample size is too small or whatever, but it's going to say a high confidence rate on that one because of how, because of the, just the Delta Got between it. them. So Got that, it. that's where, that's where even having a certain rule of thumb of like just hundreds per variant, those types of things. And there are good spot check to be like, am I jumping to conclusions? Because the worst thing you could ever do is, take a look and go, oh yeah, we're 50% up and it's only five, <laughs> like five sales. And then tell, and then, and then tell your boss, oh yeah, if we, if we put this out for the rest of the year, 50% increase in sales across the board, let's get crazy. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's, um, that's um, the conversation of a junior optimizer, we'll call it, right? The people yeah. who just start, they're just like, they're so about the numbers, right? But let's quickly then jump to, okay, so we know that most of the time now you shouldn't be doing A-B tests because, because A, you probably don't have enough conversions, B, you're probably not going to get the results fast enough, right? But you want to increase the performance of your site, of your funnel, of all yeah. these things, right? How do you approach it instead? So a lot of, a lot of how I approach it, it's... Um, a lot of it comes from historical knowledge. I look at, I do a lot of research in terms of like what other people are doing. And I know there's a lot of people now, like I know Pep is all about like sea of sameness and those things. He's trying to get away from that. I still truly believe um, that if, if you don't have to retrain somebody to, to interact, 
um, you have a much better chance of getting, you, you're no longer having to tr like teach them how to use your site or how to navigate it. And they're, they can stay hyper-focused on your message, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then really, really how it comes down to when we're looking at, at different funnels there, I, we do use testing or not even really testing. We do use, we, we, we set certain baselines between each step of the funnel where we're like, Hey, we'd expect X number of people to, to sign up for this lead magnet, or we'd expect so like, we'd expect so many people on day one of this promotion to add to cart and this many people to this. So we have those, the, like that benchmark data. And if anything's below it, then um, that's when we start doing kind of qualitative analysis uh, to see like, what are they doing on there? Um, see, are they like, like, which, like, are they scrolling through the page? Are they, are they hanging up anywhere? Is our value proposition wrong? It's, it's more or less, are we meeting the expectations we set because we have some historic, um, we have a ton of historic data. Um, and then if we're not, what things, what, like what, where we have, we, we become detectives to find out what needs to be shifted quickly. And that's where some, some short scale tests can come in because mm -hmm. if we can see a quick jump or anything like that between them, cool. But, but that data is going to be useless um, to, to scale out anywhere. It's more or less a reaction. Um, but more or less, it's like we pick, we draw a line in the sand of this is what we expect. If it's not happening, we have to figure, because eventually at some point you go, our offer is just wrong. And then we pull the promo. Um, then we have to go back to the drawing board and figure it out. And it happens. It happens. A, it happens a good amount. The best, like, I mean, I've, I've always said that we have a better batting average than most, but we've whiffed, whiffed hard on some things. Mm -hmm. And it's about knowing the indicators of when you have something that you need to put all your money behind or where you need to pull back. That's, that's really how we look at things now versus like, we got to have several variants of this for the landing page and then the upsell needs to have this and then blah, blah, blah. It's like, nah, how about, like we say, we get 40% opt-ins on all of our lead magnets. If something sub, like if, if something is like at like 30, all right, let's figure out why is this, why, how are people interacting differently? It's, and most of the time, here's the kicker, it has nothing to do with the page. It's mostly the audience going to it. It's normally an audience mismatch or something like that. Or, or it has to do with like how we set up the email or how we set up the ad. It's the page most of the time is probably fine. People know how to use the internet. Um, <laughs> so cool. So it's so on that point there then, because what you're really talking about is understanding the value, which you are kind of offering, um, the audience, right. And yeah. I think a lot of times when people are looking at kind of, kind of look like on kind of, um, how do we improve the performance of a website? They just look at the website and they don't yeah. actually think of the audience, but actually, if you understand the audience, you know, the one thing to say to them that is the best hook yep. to get them across the line. And then everything else on the page is just kind of supporting that hook. Yeah. To yep. prove that that hook is not a bunch of lies. Right. Yep, and is, exactly. that, is that kind of the best way to kind of explain kind of how do you step into something which you may not know, right? Because say for mm -hmm. example, now, right, you have all the history and all the data, but, but like, but, you might have to step into a campaign that doesn't have all the history. Yeah. Right. But how would you go about that? Like, is it about the audience first? Like, is that it's, where it's at? It's absolutely about the audience first. It's, it's who are we talking to? It's, it, we, we, so we'd run, like we have, like we, we run a, for any new product or anything that we're trying to promote. We put together uh, one, we do our like customer, uh, customer avatar worksheet as well as our before and after grid. 
and that'll pretty much do everything for you. So if we know who we're talking to and we know like what they're going to have, how they're going to feel, how it's going to improve their average day and how it's going to change their status. If you can talk to all of those things and they're become more important, the further down you go, because have is just table stakes. Then you know what they're getting, right? How they're going to feel. Okay. You're getting a little bit better there, but the only way for you to know how to talk, how to like talk about those things is to know who you're talking to. And in a lot of cases, who, know who you're talking to based on where they're coming from as well. So it's going to be like, hey, if they're coming to like a, um, like one of the things, an easy, an easy shift on a page for us would be if we're running like a flash sale, like we're just going to talk about like, we're all we're going to be hammering home is they're going to feel upset that they didn't get this because it's more expensive now. That's what we're going to hammer. Like, and, and then there's times where that doesn't work as well. And we have to rethink like how we want to make people feel on those things. Um, and then, I mean, when we launched our certification model of things, like we were telling them like, Hey, like you're going to have this status, you're getting a badge. Like, I think like, what is it? There's like a Napoleon quote. That's like, the, like, like people, like people will follow or do something people will do all sorts of things. This is the like, terrible paraphrase of it, but people yeah. will kind of do whatever for just like, for like a, like a ribbon or a badge of honor of some kind, they're always going to do it. Um, so, and that's why status is so important there. So I think it would be like, okay. If I was coming into a new campaign, I'm like, who are we talking to? And if they don't know that, I'm like, all right, we need to find out because like if, and when people are like, well, I don't want to like, I want to talk. Like, How do you find out by the way? Um, you start looking at like, um, so one, if you're starting brand new, brand new, mm, like you, yeah. you should have an idea. If you, you haven't have done idea. this before, for example, right? Like it's your first time, you kind of probably, you kind of think you understand your customer. You kind of think you may not have created all the segments or you may, right? Yeah. Let's say there's basically like a few segments that, you know, cool. So I'm going to target, say, for example, it's business owners that make between basically X and X. And then I'm going to target, yeah. you know, kind of this specific segment and then that yeah. segment and stuff like that. Yeah. So how do you then expand out the customer avatar? Yeah. So there's, there's great ways to do that. One of the ways that we do, um, well, let me pull up this one thing real quick. Let's see if I can pull it up. I probably could pull it from memory, but let's do it this way. Yeah, that's I'll good. pull it up on my screen. Um, so generally, like, you have your standard stuff. Um, like, we're simply like, you know, like, are they business owners or these things? If you start looking at goals and values, like sources of information, challenges and pain points, and then kind of the objections. Like, those are the big things that you want to be thinking about. So, like, for um, like, and I'll, I'll share like one of our customer avatars that we have for digital marketer where for goal, like, and this is for, we have a product that's just for agency owners. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're like goals and values, they want to scale their business, get larger retainers, train their team. And so all these things can get, can start being used in terms of the messaging when you're talking to them. And that's where you can start trying to tweak how you talk and how you, how you, um, fit your offer together. Um, so de uh, delegate more to team, let, let go of the day to day, work more on the business. So less work more on the business, less in the business values, like family comes first, work life balance for company, grow and empower employees, surround yourself with those you admire sources of information. And when you do sources of information, this is going to help you when you're picking your actual, when you're trying to find, like find these people doing kind of cold outreach, what, are, where, where are they hanging out? What are they interested in? So like, I feel like agency owners would have like, we have books like lean in story brand. Uh, they'd be following Seth Godin. 
Um, and then magazines, HBR, Forbes, HER, blogs and websites, like they're on Facebook, they're on LinkedIn, conferences they go to inbound on like entree leadership, gurus, uh, and then kind of any, some, uh, some other stuff that you'd have there. Um, so that's going to tell you, and then uh, like where they are and, and what they're interested in. And then you can start doing like, you can start putting social campaigns together with that. Um, where you can start getting into the social chatter, where you can start kind of doing things there. It can also like, you can look at like how people, how people write in those and kind of talk to them in the way that they're used to be talked, like they're used to be talked to. Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, your goals, but then you get into challenges and pain points. Like what are the challenges? And then this is where you kind of dig into the before and after side of things. They have these challenges and pain points. How are you going to deal with them? Right. Uh, and how do and you then, figure out the challenges and pain points? Because everything else so far, yeah. You could find online, you could do some searches, um, but kind of understanding kind of the inner workings of someone to give them the right answers to the things that they're thinking. That maybe they don't even know they're thinking. Yeah. Oh, maybe they do. But how do you find that uh, out? Uh, Facebook groups, like join, join stuff where people are talking about these things. Um, like communities, follow, finding the communities where people are chatting is the best way to do some type of research there. If you have any customers, interview them. Um, so you can either be, a, be kind of a lurker, passive person, but you always have to be active on things. So interviewing people, looking through, any, if, you like, if you're an established business, like looking through your customer care inquiries, talking to your sales team, seeing what the like what sales pitches work what don't because they're going to test other things out because they no matter what script you give them they're going to go off script at some point mm -hmm. they're going to find a way to tweak things that work for them yeah so always interviewing them but i mean especially with how open different communities are now um specifically on facebook like just join a couple of communities that like your key audience would be in and just start listening and searching like search for like different challenges, be like having a hard time or those types of things where yeah, people are, are asking questions. That is a gold mine. And it's going to be a great way for you to start filling that out and finding holes in the market um, for your company and also in how you'd articulate things as well. That's awesome. Because I think um, this is the biggest one I think I've learned over the last few years, right? Is really just understanding the audience. Like, mm -hmm. You know, like kind of at the very beginning, I was all about the button colors. This is like 10, 15 years ago, right? <laughs> button, button color, button color, like a button shape even. Jesus, that was some time ago, right? And then it was like, <laughs> all right, forget button color. Now it's all about kind of the bigger changes on the website, right? All right, cool. Let's yep. make let's bigger updates, but not really understanding kind of who the updates are for, just focusing about us and not yep. about the person actually on the site. And then we move to understanding the actual audience segments, you know, per mm -hmm. segment understanding it changes the game yeah it changes the game because now you know what they actually want and that's what you can actually provide them and no conversion optimization in the world is going to get you there without None. understanding the audience it's not going to do it is it no yeah it's like <laughs> i optimize i optimized it from zero to one infinite lift like we did it <laughs> <laughs> we did it we did it and so yeah like, like if there was one piece of advice that i um um can put out to people on the podcast is just spend more time in the audience understanding. I call it um, kind of like, I forget who said it, but it's like eating your vegetables, right? It's like kind of understanding the audience is like having your greens, right? It's, yeah. you don't want to do it, um, but it's really, really good for you, right? It's really, really good for you. And the dessert is the split test setup or the software, which you do at the very end. That's the dessert, right? Um, that part is super awesome. And I love the point which you just said on 
the Facebook groups and the c- community. That, that, that's the first time I've heard that one actually. And I think it's, it's just so smart because they're sharing. They're sharing exactly yep. what they're thinking. And it may not be perfect, but it's a lot more insight than what you're going to have kind of outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. And they're sharing and they're sharing in a way. Um, and so I have this, I break down qualitative data in two camps. You have um, like, you have passive qualitative data and active qualitative data. Um, active being that they know they're in a state, they, they know that their, their information is being recorded essentially. So sur- people who take surveys people and, and, and whatnot, but people who are more of a passive state, they, um, not state, but they're, 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 it's passive user data because they're hardly passive in some of these things. Would be mm-hmm. things like customer care, would be things like Facebook groups, would be those where they're customers in the wild. They're people in the wild. They're acting as they would as if there's pretty much no repercussions, yep. right? And that is the most unfiltered, unfettered piece of data that you can really use to give you an edge. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I think we've had a good chat on conversions, right? And we could keep going for days and we have gone (laughs) for days before. But let's just jump now to the next really challenging topic um, in the world today, which is attribution, Yeah. right? (sighs) Attribution, like trying to figure out what basically every tactic as part of a strategy plays in converting somebody to spending money with you. I'm getting a drink for this one. Yeah, no, that's for sure. (laughs) All right. Um, And I hope that the intro was there before, but um, normally we'd both have a drink right now, but it's like pretty early in the morning here in Australia. So, um, and it's a Wednesday. Yeah, it's it's, it's evening evening in in Texas right now. I'm not not (laughs) (laughs) It's evening in Texas right now. But um, just as a quick intro, you know, attribution, um, you know, just understanding, you know, how each channel plays a part kind of in the acquisition of a customer um, is something that people have been talking about now for years. And there's been some kind of platforms that have been introduced, but it's not there yet, right? And so what are you seeing over there, Justin, in terms of attribution? What are you guys actually just doing to tell, you know, should we keep spending you know, this much money on this channel versus that much money on that channel? Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it? Don't. Don't do who cares. It's all in. Here's why you shouldn't care really all that much about attribution right now, because a lot of the people that are doing it are also going to be looking at it more from a paid channel perspective um, and being like, Hey, do I put more in Google? Hey, do I put more on Facebook? Here's the thing. Google and Facebook are both, they have PhD peeps that are just focused all the time at making sure that their pixel gets last click attribution. That's what they're shooting for. That's what they're, so they're at odds with one another. And anytime you're doing any sort of data analysis or any sort of work there, the, the, the truth is kind of in the middle as it stands. So like, yes, look at, look at what, what Google's saying. Look at what Facebook's saying. Look, look at those. And then they shouldn't be all that wildly different. To be quite honest, like if they're super wildly different then one, you set something up wrong or two, they're being disingenuous. So mm-hmm. I like how I look at it is I'm, I'm pretty old school on stuff. Like I look at Google analytics, I look at my source medium report mm-hmm. and I go, oh yeah, that, that looks about right. Like email, emails are big driver, like email and paid media are our biggest drivers. Organic's grown since we really invested in organic over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but you can't expect like, do you really want to be like, all right, so the general path is someone comes to two posts, uh, comes to one post paid, three posts organic, 
then they get an email and buy. Boom. So all we have to do is optimize to get those to all <laughs> those things. Or, or like it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> it just doesn't. And the the it's so interesting to me that people are so hyper focused on this because at the end of the day, are are you making more money than you're spending when you're doing these things, especially if you're looking at paid channels? Because I, I I'll tell you, oof, oof, this one hurts. Okay, so mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you this one. I don't think I don't think I've told this story outside of digital marketers. So I might get <laughs> who knows if I get in trouble. Here, so. <laughs> um, so we were marketing one of our conferences, mm -hmm. and we had a uh, we were working with a. a, a outsourcer, uh, not outsourcer, we were with an agency for our, our, our Google ads. Mm -hmm. um, I was chatting and I was saying, hey, like, how are, how are things going? Blah, 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 blah. He's like, Google's saying we're killing it right now. I was like, it's not saying that in the bank. Like, I am not seeing any of these sales that you're telling me that you see. And I went away for TNC because this was for a campaign to sell the recording. So I was like, mm -hmm. incommunicado. Mm -hmm. um, to which $100,000 in ad spend was spent over those three days that I was incommunicado because they were using the Google alg algorithm to optimize through these things that never actually existed, which means it's just getting more people who are less likely to convert. And it was a mess. It was like a complete $100,000 mess because people just relied on like what one thing was saying. There is no single truth except for what's in the bank. Okay, so there's no single truth in data. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing these things come through? And always think, trust, but verify. Always, always, always. That's why this, this whole attribution debate just seems nonsensical to me. And it just sounds like a lot of people who are really bored right now, who are trying to justify their positions in some things. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. And it's so crazy that it's it, like, ah, it's one mm. of those, just, I just don't care. I just don't, like, at all. So, okay. <laughs> um, same, by the way, because I, I do think of it similarly, but trying to put like a budget to a tactic, for example, right? Yeah. We know there's a funnel for yeah. a lot of businesses, right? And we know that there's basically a stage of awareness where you probably want to use some content and ideally yeah. track, uh, say, for example, um, like an acquire like an email address, or maybe it's just a view yeah. on Facebook, and then you're going to retarget them with the consideration ad to get them to become an email, right? Yeah. How do you then approach setting that budget? Because uh, you know so, you can't just focus on conversion because they have no, 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 God no. The funnel's you, too you small. Need, you, you need you need to be able to build out your pixeled audience. You need to be be able to build out more things. Like there's there's a lot of factors, and and this is something I used to get into a lot of arguments about, like internally, where they'd be looking at and and so we'd be running and like we run pretty pretty large scale paid media budgets, uh, and I'd be asked to justify the. I was, I was asked to measure the effectiveness of our top funnel, like awareness campaigns based off of a bottom funnel conversion. And that, that took about a solid eight months of arguing on my point to be like, you're asking a fish to climb a tree. Like we can, we can know what that looks like and see this through. And that's not even going to be that accurate. Or you could look at what are we willing to spend on an email address? What are we willing to spend on a demo request? What are we willing to spend on a trial? What are we willing to spend on a click to the site? And if you start looking at it like that, and don't just think of that in terms of CPC, think of that in terms of everything. 
So say if you're, so we, we're doing this partnership with Active Campaign. It's actually going tomorrow. This just works. Um, that had such an insane value to us. There was no pay, payment between the companies or anything like that. Like we worked together, partnered on this project together mm-hmm. and did, you know, standard, like, hey, we, we're running this thing, like lead, like lead generation for the two companies, right? Right, of course, yes. I know how much, I know how much our leads cost us. And I know how many unique leads we got from that. And that to me was worth, let me just do quick math. I'm probably not allowed to say this anyway. So if, if you want to usually like beat me out. <laughs> uh, Adrian, oh um, you got to beep this part out if it's, um, if he wants it to be beeped out. And Adrian's um, the video guy, by the way. That's not like a rocket. <laughs> Adrian. <laughs> yeah. Right there. Got it. Um, so I look, at, I look at the actions that need to happen. And if we're not seeing the volume for what it's worth, then it's not worth doing. So like, if we're not seeing, like, if I know I'm, I'm, I'm happy at, like, if I, if I look at all of our clicks and value and those hit, let's say 50 cents, let's just say that, like, I'm picking yeah. a number because I, I, I don't go down to the click level. I look at, I look at email subscribers, um, free accounts, demos and trials mm-hmm. and what I'm willing to spend there. And all those are just based on kind of back end numbers. I know with the trial, like if I can get a trial at 200 bucks, I, I, we, we, we make that money back in 45 days and then we're profitable. We're profitable after 45 days on that. And I'm willing to float that. Um, I know that leads, I want to keep them $5 or less. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Uh, and so everything that you do across every stage of the funnel is tracking those no, numbers. No, no. I, 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 uh, How about so I for the top? Up- how about for the top? Let's start with the top because like it's, it becomes much easier just when you start tracking emails and all that. And like, like as soon as you start to come down to the bottom of the funnel, like you're actually like getting them to take action. But what do you yeah. do for the top, the top part before there's action that Here's you care key, about? Uh, this one's fun. And this is again, a correlation and we all know correlation isn't causation. And it's actually, it's, um, it's a lagging correlation, which actually makes me think it is causal. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever, we go, why are we spending this much money on content? Whenever we do that and then we pull back, <laughs> our lead costs in three weeks will spike. Got Every it. time. Every time. And so it really comes down to looking at like, like we know we need to pay to play in those levels yeah. where it's, that's just, that's just table stakes because you need to have that lead flow. You need to have just those eyeballs coming in to build retargeting audiences to catch it because that's what you can start measuring retargeting audiences the second someone comes to your site mm. like you got them you have that bit of information you can start getting them again so you need to have those things in place also some like on-site retargeting stuff like you know strategic pops for those types of things that you just don't don't be a dick about it but like strategic pop-ups for those types uh for for, for new visitors that are coming there yeah. if they're like leaving um but really it comes down like I, I know the causal relationship there and I know what it happened. I think anybody will say that every time that's the first area to get cut. Every time, like my budget would get cut. So like, Hey, they'd be like, <laughs> hey let's yeah. cut content. I go, no. no. Um, and then I was, I was, I'd lose each time until, until I was able to show them after like three iterations of that. It's like, look how much lead costs went up. Look like, like we, like, and one of our um, wildly important goals was hitting like, like 30,000 leads or something like a month. And I'm like, do you know how much this is going to cost us now? Like it's going to cost us a lot of money. <laughs> um, mm. But it's also, it's also a good way to start thinking about, like when you think about the value journey, if you know what you're willing to pay for like an email, what you're willing to pay for even a website visit at that level, even if you can get to granular to the level, what you're willing to pay per click, 
um, that becomes extremely powerful when you're trying to like set up partnerships with other companies. Mm -hmm. um, and it also gets more powerful for if you're going to build out like an affiliate program, because then you can have all these stats and then more people want to work with you. Like know those numbers. If you know those numbers, you win. You don't have to worry about attribution anymore. You just know what these things are. So from a content perspective then, because yeah. um, just this part here, because I just want to just confirm this a little bit more. Um, would you be tracking, would you be tracking the next step in the funnel? So for example, if you're running advertising on content, would you then confirm the performance of that by how the retargeting audience is performing? Is that like, is that what you're doing? Or like, yeah. Yeah. So that that's, that's not, not, not completely. So that, that, that's an indicating metric for me. I think it can be a little volatile. Um, but it's a good, it's a good, it's a good checker to be like, Hey, of these people that are coming in, are we, are we maintaining, um, our CPL our cost per lead? Are we maintaining that, um, with this stuff? Because if, if, if the CPL is going up while we're spending more on content, it means we're bringing people into our content that don't give a shit about us. Right. So that, that, that's a good, like kind of checks and balances for me. It's, um, it's more about, especially when it comes to content, um, no, I actually kind of nailed it. It's, it's mostly about how I can get retargeting audience, how I can build new retargeting audiences. If I can do it cheaply, um, to be quite, like, and, then, and some, yeah. And some of it comes down to like, Hey, like we'll spend a lot of money on, on video production. We have a really big video team and we spend a lot on that and we do different types of, um, retargeting strategies based off of people who view X percent of our videos and those types of things. So content for us, one is meant to be valuable. Um, in and of itself, but it's measured upon um, the percent new visitors coming to the site, as well as a, a cost, a um, kind of a checks and balance of like, are we maintaining our, or maintaining or improving our CPL? Yeah, no, got it, got it, got it. Um, and then is there a budget which you like, or a percentage of the budget, which you would just like, like at the beginning of a campaign or just kind of in like general, essentially, where you say- About 15%. 15% on just content kind of advertising. Yeah. yeah. Or content promotion. Um, and this, this whole conversation kind of is a conversation that we've been having internally for years, right? Well, we know when we publish a specific kind of content and we promote it heavily, all our leads will increase from all channels. Yep. And we're like, but the people, and we track all this stuff, but the people who subscribe aren't the people who saw it. Like, it's just, it's so hard to correlate the, like, the data to say this piece of content has led to this lead because, yeah. it, because it has this effect, this effect that, you know, somebody might share it and then they might see it. And then, I don't know, it's like, it's really hard to really get specific on it. And so there is, an, like, I guess, an element of just, you see it happening, yeah? You spend more on this this happens right and then we you need to kind of make somewhat data i think like around it which is what kind of to this conversation like he's talking about you know having the data yeah cool so when we spend this money this is what happens and when we stop spending this money that's what happens right um yeah and that's the best thing that we've got so far right because there's nothing really apart from that is there it's last click mostly and if you're going to be yeah. running any ads like if it's on facebook or google or whatever they're, they're working, they're working against each other <laughs> and they're working against each other to make sure that they can get that click. So they're, 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 
they're incentivized from Facebook and Google side. This is me, tin, like a uh, aluminum foil, like hat, like yeah. they, they, like Google wants to be like, Hey, look at it's Google ads that have done this. Facebook wants to be like, no, it's Facebook ads that did this. So they're going to be at odds with each other. And they're, they're like the Joker and Batman. I don't know which one's which, but they'll be doing this forever. It's like an unstoppable mm -hmm. force. It's an immovable object. Like it's going to be happening like that for quite a long time. So don't fret over that. Know your baseline metrics and what you're willing to, what you're willing to pay. And then that'll tell you when to start pulling back or putting the gas on. Okay, cool. All right. Now let's just jump um, to tactics now, right? Because yes. you got a lot of tactics, right? <laughs> Where or which platforms are you most excited about currently that is getting you performance currently? Are you talking about ad platforms or just what? Yeah, well, yeah, so it could, so it could be ad platforms or it could be kind of channels or tactics, you know, so what mm -hmm. is the thing at the moment, like in the digital space, Yeah, which is working and best for you? That, that challenge funnel game, man, that's the, that's the one. It's getting a little saturated right now, but it's not too saturated, especially in spaces outside of like the information space. But the concept of doing a challenge launch over a five-day period with a, with a, and you could have a low dollar upsell on the back end too, of just being like, hey, do this thing. But it, it goes back to everything we've taught forever and done forever at Digital Marketer, which is value first. So it's free to low dollar entry. They, they come in. So you, the, fun, the funnel kind of goes like this, like, you sign up, it's either free or low dollar, whatever it's going to be. Um, if it's a low dollar one, you set it to be a two-step um, uh, sign up process um, with your privacy policy on the first one there. So if you collect their email address and you can re hit, hit them back up, you be like, hey, you, you didn't finish, you showed interest and do that type of thing, especially if they're paying. Um, comes in, then you have, uh, you, can, you can offer like a, a VIP portion to it. So you go, hey, we have this challenge. Oh, well, of all these things, we're gonna, like we did this thing called the napkin challenge. Um, if you go to like digitalmarketer.com slash, it's, it's closed now. So this isn't even a plug. It'll just be there. Um, yeah. Slash LP slash napkin. You can see what the page looks like to see like how it was put together. Yes. Um, but it's really like, hey, by the end of these five days, you're going to have this. So it's by the end of finite period of time, five days, like three to five days, which we keep it, you will have X. That's the statement. Mm -hmm. And then you have for each day, you have a themed day about what you're going to be talking about. And we did this all, we did this all through, um, for one of our challenges, our, our probably best performing one, we didn't even use Zoom for, we just did it in like a Facebook video thing, but we do them in like Zoom calls and those things. And then what you do is you have like a Facebook community that you then archive after it's all said and done too. So it's like, there's, there's, there is a open and close for this mm -hmm. in general. And then you have a different like, so yeah, yeah. And how it worked for, for DM was we had, Facebook feed only. If you did VIP, which was a $95 upsell on it, then you, um, then you had access to the Zoom room where you could at, where your specific questions would be answered and you had an extra 45 minutes with the instructor at the end of each call. Yeah. And then the last call is then the pitch. Then you have a, like a follow-up sequence at the end of that to crush that out. For DM, that did us. That did probably about three hundred thousand in revenue. And then for um, for one of our other brands, the first one did just under a million. Wow! Um, yeah, at the end of the seven days or fourteen days, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, but so outside information products, then could a 
smaller business that has like a service, could they use it or could like a bank use it or could, you know, so think, like, you're like, are there think, specific kind of businesses where this would work for than others? I think, I think it could work for, I think it, it depends on the angle and how you want to do it. Like say if you're like, um, say if you're, let me, I'm trying, let me see if I can riff on one. Um, bank would be really hard because they have finance things. So yeah, yeah, cool. Me, okay, give, cool. Give, so give, outside give of the me, bigger ones, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's say accountant. Could an accountant use it or like an electrician or like an agency, you know, just like ourselves, like, you know, like how would a service provider yeah. use it or how would an e-commerce provider potentially yeah. use it? You know? So I think, I think for, for an agency, how it would work the best, like how you could kind of work with like what you'd want to do. Cause you're what you're trying to do is you want to try to find clients. Right. Mm. So like ideally as an agency, you're trying to find new business. So, what's and what i'd ask you then is what's like the first thing when you're bringing clients on board like what's like the first thing they have you do more often than not mm -hmm. sure. and then if there's something if you whatever your quick win is there that's your challenge and you do it like that um and you do like it like understanding it, like, for example audiences yeah yes, you know, so doing exactly. the audience part, it's like right? it's yeah you, you do you yeah you do like rock star audience challenge and but and then you work with people through like and, and like by the by in five days you'll have the you'll have the audience that will buy from you from like again and again and again boom there it is and you work them through that um like elect like i think trades and like electricians and those they, they'd have a harder time with those types of things because it's more of like hey we're gonna do this they, they want people they don't want to train people as much they yeah, want to true. do it for them. Um, so anything that's completely done for you, I think agency works the only one, like digital agencies, it works for you. All creative agencies do too. Um, they can work for this. I think this works. This would work like software. This will kill. If you do like, it'll just absolutely kill. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a matter of what's, and, and what that does is it, is it, it bridges that information gap that we talked about at the beginning where info products have a way to talk with people all the time because they're mm -hmm. always creating, always creating a piece of software. Anybody who signs up for a list has a half-life on there. How do you keep them engaged? Something like this. Yeah, sure. Okay. That's cool. 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 So the first one is challenge funnels and check yes. out the challenge funnel at the DM site. Of course, mm -hmm. what else is, um, performing right now like i saw um some stuff on your twitter or on your linkedin around conversational marketing you yeah you got some stuff around um the, for example um the, the push notifications chatbots mm -hmm. like is that all just kind of just kind of fancy stuff right now is it just kind of the there's, old school there's there's some like ads with email the, and understanding mostly the, the old the old school stuff works there the, those are those are to me complementary things um, I think having like my, my rule, like I have, a, I have a really important rule when it comes to chatbots. Um, it's if you're ever intending to hand off that chatbot to a human, make sure a human's available and make sure you make it absolutely clear. Like always let people know it's a bot. Don't, don't try to fake people out. You're not going to pass the Turing test. It, machines are dumb. Um, you can never anticipate like what people are going to write in those things. It's insane. I thought I could, cause I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm smart. Not that smart. Um, so yeah, chatbots, right. I think are great on even, I think they're great on like product category pages when you have like a support chat. Um, they're good on high ticket pages. They're great on thank you pages as well. They're great on like webinar playing pages. Mm -hmm. So like if you have a chatbot on there, if you're not using something like EverWebinar or anything like that. 
Um, I do like those for, for that, but you also need to have people to man those things. Like you, like, I don't like using them for lead generation. I like when people, when, when it was said like, oh yeah, like forms are dead. That's stupid. No, you need to be able to get people's information. Mm-hmm. Um, we, one thing that's, we've been testing out. That's pretty cool. It's, um, almost like premium low dollar content on our site. So we like block, like we use, um, we've been using a tool called MemberPress to do this on one of our new brands. Um, where we have a certain membership level, but we use their short code to like block off key articles so they can start reading. So we almost take like a New York Times model to it. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, like, not like you've read too much, but we just kind of stop it. We're like, hey, become a member to read this type of thing. And mm-hmm. that's that's worked really well for us. We took something from no MRR to like 20,000 MRR, just that. Wow. Um, so kind of, so kind of think rethinking the that's model good. there and, and, and that's at like $10 a month. So that, that's a significant number of people who signed up. Um, that I've been, I've been really, one of the things that we've, and it's not because it's a new thing. It's just because I, we haven't done it at digital marketer enough. And I think people forget this part of the viral loop, so to say, and it's coming up with a solid word. Like I've been using up viral a lot to mess with referral programs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're awesome. It gen- and it goes back to whenever someone sends us like verified leads on that. I remember, I know like a lead leads worth about five bucks to me every time I get one. So mm-hmm. that's just free leads at that point. So I can start really calculating that stuff out. So right. digging, digging into referral programs that we've been basing off uh, that we use for our, um, our marketing newsletter and newsletters obviously are like kind of the big thing right now. They're getting a little saturated. So if like you're not, too late yet especially if you're outside of the information space mm-hmm. um but it is way saturated in ours but like if you're like even in an e-com space or anything like that if you have something interesting to talk about something interesting to share like people people love valuable stuff coming to them um and then i think whatsapp there's some cool stuff going on with like whatsapp newsletters we don't do any of that i've only heard Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I've like wanted to dig into, but that's definitely out, more of an outside the U.S. thing. Um, but like people have been looking at how to monetize their their WhatsApp newsletters as well, um, and and kind of that type of stuff. But that's something I can't speak to like at all. I'm just now thinking about the different types of like I'm thinking about the medium by which you can send um, a newsletter because it's not. Like, I don't think newsletters are oversaturated yet, but I think them coming in email is starting to. I think if you can find a way to get to a different medium, mm-hmm. um, it would still follow there. Like, uh, what is it? There's, um, we don't use this, but um, in Austin, Texas, they have, there's this like called like, do it's like, what, is, what are they called? They just sent me a text. It's called nudge or something like that. And they nudge me to do like, they're like, hey, this is the stuff happening this week. And they send me a text. I read it every time. So there's, there's different ways to do like kind of like uh, SMS marketing as well. That's, that's starting to become more and more acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's more on the cutting edge still, like, and there's a lot more risk at that. And also asking for a phone number is like, a, oh, like people don't like giving their phone numbers up. But if you like marketed like a, hey, we're going to send you this, like get like sign up with just your like name and phone number, we're going to give you like you'll get a weekly text from us that's saying like X, Y, Z things. Or if like you're going back even to your example of like an electrician or something like that, get, get, get like weekly electrician tips to your text inbox being like, Hey, how to check a faulty thing. That'd be, that'd be useful there. Um, so really 
what we've been trying to do uh, is find new channels to generate leads and then new consumption for new consumption channels for our media. That's mm. where we've been spending a lot of our time. Of course, where are you most excited about in terms of the digital space in the next two or three years? Like, is there like an area where that there's that's the thing which you're like excited about or is it all kind of just the same, but just a bit more competitive and a bit I think, faster? I think with it's going to get super it's going to get more competitive in the next six months um like covid didn't like made everybody remote and everybody's looking for information everybody can has the time to consume information um but it's also having and i think information most of the time and whenever you're building a media site or an information site or anything like that in the digital space um you're reacting to the technologies that are coming out. So I think what's exciting to me is just, I, I, I read like the chief MarTech blog and all that stuff to see what's hot and what's kind of going on. And then that's going to help me like think about, okay, where do I need to spend my time? Like in terms of investing my, like in, in learning new technologies or learning how things come together. And, and then also is this uh, uh, something that's valuable for the company? Um, I think we're going to see some interesting tech innovations over the next eight to 12 months in response to um, this now remote world. And I think what that's going to do is create a butt ton of innovation, of, of opportunity. And mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like, it's gonna create a lot of opportunity in the SaaS marketing world. I think the SaaS marketing world's boring, um, just completely boring. Um, they're, they're kind of, like you, you've seen the e-com marketing world like in the last couple of years, they've gotten really exciting in terms of how they understand brand voice and those types of things. SaaS has, SaaS doesn't have that. That's what's going to really shift. And I think it's going to be really cool to see how it does. Mm, yeah, but, for sure. Uh, but that, that's, that's what I think is going to happen because of just the influx of like need for information, the amount of information and that information and those types of things is all uh, is derived from technology and, mm -hmm. and things that, and, and, and need that it's going to be a really, really cool, uh, cool landscape in the next couple like next six to 12 months i think so everything that we just spoke about is going to be even you know well like it's going to be critically important you know actually yeah. understanding the audience understanding how to kind of assign some budgets understanding actually how to track performance of the funnel and understanding actually how do you actually improve the performance and don't just think about a b testing and so on right because that's yeah. not going to be enough um like in such a world that we live in a few quick fire questions right all right if you had to choose just one channel or, or tactic for growth, then what would it be? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to choose, brother, you got to choose one. What would it be? I, I still would use, would use kind of, kind of Facebook ads and content. Like I could build, you can build a lot of stuff with that. Um, it'd be yeah, kind of like the, the one-two punch of Facebook ads for lead generation, email for kicking in. Like yeah. that, that just works. Cool. Um, so what... Cool. What book has had the biggest impact on your success? This if you can is pick gonna, one. <laughs> it's not, I, so I don't read that many marketing books. Um, I read a few. It doesn't have to I be think, about marketing. It's just basically no. any book. So there's this book called The Tractatus Logico Philosophicus by Ludwig Wittgenstein. I read it when I was in university, college, um, and I did a whole seminar on the guy. Uh, unbelievable thinker. Um, 
wanted he like as for as much as I talk, I never learned one lesson from him that like brevity is what's most important. Um, he has a foreword in the book that's like what is said, what is what is not a mere utterance, but it can be said in three words. Hmm. Um, he he really changed how I think about how I think about things systematically. He was my entrance into kind of like more advanced um, kind of mathematics and those types of things as well. So um, unbelievable thinker, genius, troubled. Uh, there's also another great book about him. If anybody's familiar, it's called um, The Duty of Genius. It's by Ray Monk. Um, that was, it was kind of the first time I saw like, you got to see the guy, the man behind the genius too, wow. which really kind of, you see the juxtaposition of like, like people aren't this just idea. They are people. And I think between those two, it's just fantastic. Awesome. And I'm going to feel like I'm going to, of course, I am going to have to listen to that segment again so I can figure out how to spell it. But thank you. But thank you, Google, for, exactly. um, for auto suggestion. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, cool. So what's your number one piece of advice for hiring awesome people? For hiring awesome people, it, it, man, it, it comes down to culture. Like, can you, can you, can you like, do, will you like working with the person? Um, I, talent is, is incredibly important. But um, I, I had a candidate when we were hiring for a paid media role that I was like, I want to hire this guy. I'll hire him right now. But we had a process to make sure to like check culture. Like to, they, they meet with the team. I would like, everyone like, no, 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 no. And it would have been a train wreck. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously talent and those things are important, but it's like, can you work with the person? Cause you spend way more, like you spend so much time, so much time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I like the, um, the process there. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. you have to actually meet kind of other people in the company, right? That's yeah. about a part of the process. That's great. Uh, how do you relax after a crazy day in the office, which is now home office, but I guess yeah, like, which is now home. outside the office, but like, yeah, how do you relax? So I'm, day? I'm almost embarrassingly good at the NHL video game franchise. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a good way for me to chill out. Um, it's that. And then now my new hobby of boating, uh, which is like, I'm, I feel like, kind of lame saying that it's like such a ooh, look at me and how much i do boating and things like i feel like crappy about that but it is how i spend most of my time if i'm not at work that's awesome and um you are like a hockey fan and you've had oh, yeah. they're, a they're version of the right bruins now. hat yeah like, yeah like of that hat since i met you and i think you gave me one one year and i, I did it, yeah, like i had it it was the b so I, like, I know the bruins i don't know many um kind of hockey teams but that's one of them um cool um so what's your best tip for, for um management or productivity do um chunks on your calendar and actually put them in it uh so like my calendar has is covered in just like it has i have things that just even say focus block on it which yeah. at the beginning of the week i fill in what those focus blocks are going to be so it just doesn't stay that way but all standing meetings all other things like you can have things like Check, like I don't go to this level where it's like check email and those things. Like I, sh I should, cause that'll get you kind of pulling off of Slack and email as well. But mm -hmm. I, I thought it was the lamest thing in the world to do that stuff with calendars, but oh my gosh, it protects your time so much mm. from other people. And then you just kind of know. So that, yeah. that's, that's the big one there. And that's what I do as well, by the way. And that's an awesome mm -hmm. one. Um, and then mm -hmm. I make it private. So people can't tell that like it's a fake meeting. You know, yeah, exactly. they're like, oh, that's your focus time. That's fine. Let's have a meeting in that time. No problem. Like, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Private. Exactly. Um, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? I think it, it, I think it just comes back down to what I, what I said when we were talking about attribution. Do you have more money at the end of the month than you do at the beginning? Um, 
and looking at it that like there's one sort like that's the one source of truth when you're looking at the effectiveness of something don't get blinded by like all the like bells and whistles that exist out there like are you are you grow you'll know if you're growing and if you're not there's going to be no surprises down the line at that point and also pay your taxes that one too <laughs> <laughs> thank you irs ato or you know you know whoever is the tax authority <laughs> in your country we love you sorry <laughs> everything nah uh, just kidding um and i think you may have already answered this but i but i still want to ask it um so what do you do for fun uh I, so i play music um i've been playing the bass guitar since i was in seventh grade um i like to go to concerts i love karaoke like love it that's the first <laughs> thing i'm doing once i'm allowed to go places again but also like it's going to change karaoke forever because like i don't want to share the microphone with somebody now like i never i like to be fair i never wanted to share the stage with anybody else but let alone a microphone, microphone. Oh, it's crazy. yeah um and then, yeah, and then kind of some of the stuff I talked about earlier, just kind of like hockey, like watching hockey, like video games. Yeah. Um, just over, overall fun guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, actually, and I can, I can um, confirm that. Um, that's how we met. Um, we had a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, we're similar um, in terms of how we think about life. So like, like if somebody wants to get kind of in touch with you, uh, how do they yep. do that? LinkedIn is an easy one. Twitter, I don't really look at all that much. Like, my email is uh, justin at digitalmarketer.com. Like if anyone wants to reach out, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah. those are just kind of the best ways to do it. Cool. Justin, mate, thank you so much for taking the time this evening. I wish I could have had a scotch with you. Um, oh. or whatever you're drinking right now, it looks like scotch. Um, it could it, be bourbon. It's bourbon. It's bourbon. It's bourbon. It's bourbon. It's yeah, bourbon. It's bourbon. Yeah. Um, hey, look, um, it's been so good to speak to you about all of the geek stuff uh, that we love. <laughs> Um, and yeah, just thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. No, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast.